It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, episode 63. We're coming off to a great start with UFC 251, Nick. So much to discuss. We're obviously going to get into uh, the two next cards coming up this Wednesday and also this Saturday. The Saturday card in particular is stacked. We're going to get into the main card bouts of the Wednesday card as well. Nikolai, let's dive into UFC 251, buddy. Let's just say what all of our listeners are thinking, Stan. I trained hard. (laughs) I took my vitamins. I said my prayers. I had a renaissance. C-level Nick <laughs> is here. A highly motivated Nick arrived. And we hear and new. Not just and new after defeating you on the biggest card of the year so far. A card that I believe did 1.3 million buys. Uh, but wow, that's phenomenal. now I'm three, two, and two in the last eight events, which is the most successful I've been in a calendar year. And I am surging. I know what it takes. So you better step up. I am on your ass now. Nick, I am genuinely, genuinely proud of you. You perform well. You actually... Don't patronize me. I'm I'm giving you props. Would you like me to tell you that you got a gift decision (laughs) on that tiebreaker and that's the only way you're, you're proud of the win this week? Would you like me to tell you that? Is that what you prefer, Nick? No, because immediate. No, because you're immediately going to make it about how they were in Abu Dhabi, and the Muslim fighter got the thirty twenty seven card. I don't think that's that the reason. I think it was deserve. just a. Horrible and you're going to turn it. You you know you. That's oh come on. You were absolutely going to turn it into an ethnic issue. I was not going to turn it into an ethnic issue. Uh, <laughs> I, I did. I did via text mention to you earlier in the week about how you know this one uh, podcast that I that I briefly listened to spoke about how there's no way a guy named Muslim is losing in Abu Dhabi, but it's not like the judges. I uh, I don't I don't think the judges are local and the crowd isn't there to. Sway I know. Them, right? I know. But uh, it's just interesting hearing that quote because when I heard it first, I thought this guy's an idiot. What's he talking about? Like the judges are UFCs and and there's no crowd factor. But that's literally how it turned out. It seems like just about everybody agrees that Lizzie Zaleski Dos Santos deserved that decision. Unfortunately, he got screwed. What are you going to do? And it screws me too, Nick, more importantly. I like to look forward. I look at the entire <laughs> card as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. We, we actually both did really well in our picks. Uh, both did really well overall, I think. If you look at yeah, I think I, w- I was eleven and two, eleven and two maybe. I think I was. Um, I don't think you were eleven and two. I think you were ten and three, which is excellent. Can't complain about that. The only you ended up getting that Salikov pick, which you shouldn't have gotten, and that's why you got one better pick than me. Yep, yep, um, yeah. Two two judges on MMADecisions.com picked Salikov. Two and then fourteen picked it for Lizzie Dos Santos. I think like you're always gonna find two out of sixteen people who are gonna favor the the wrong guy, but. To me, it was very clear. Easy argument to be made for a 30-27, I think, for Dos Santos. And one of the judges actually scored it 30-27 the other way. I thought it was at least a, I thought it was a, a clear 29-28, and you'd have to re- – and I'm a big Muslim Salakov fan. Um, I think you'd really have to squint to see it as any – you know, you have to squint a little to see it even as 29-28 for him, but I think that's fair. I don't know that it is fair. The 30-27, I think, blows all of our minds. But I really – I don't think it's fair. I think, like – 
clearly the guy won at least two rounds. He yeah. No, I'm agreeing. I'm in agreeing with you. First round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So weird decision, man. It definitely that is literally the tiebreaker because you and I uh, were tied for picks. Each of us went five and one, one wrong pick, five correct ones, and and this was the one that made all the difference. It's a rare tiebreaker that we actually disagreed on. And it just by sheer luck and prayer went your way, Nick. I'm starting to believe in God now all of a sudden. Well, apparently he likes me better. Well, if he does exist, he would like you better. It's really unfair if you think about it. The fact that I'm an atheist is screwing me in the eyes of God. This reminds me, for my victory this week, I want to thank the man upstairs. <laughs> uh, through him, I can do all things. <laughs> yes, you can, Nick. And I'm not going to, not like last time I won, I'm not going to get lazy. I'm not going to go... Order crystal, get the table service, hang out with cam girls. Like that's not going to happen this time. <laughs> I hear that. I'm just gonna. Tr- I'm gonna double down. I'm gonna train hard. I gotta set a good example for the kids making picks. I like it, Nick. And, and you know what? You can be a trailblazer for them all, Nick. Just coming out from behind and picking up this victory. Now, our overall stance this year is ten wins for me, four wins for you. But uh, as you nobody said, cares. No, absolutely. <laughs> why would the why would the grand scheme of things matter? Uh, but in the last six events, you're right. It's been very competitive. We have a bunch of draws, and then you and then you have a, a couple of wins, which is pretty damn. Last impressive. eight events, three, two, and two. Three, two, and two. I'm sorry. The three, that's seven. That's seven events. (laughs) (laughs) I took a lot of damage. I took a lot of damage to the head this weekend. Since my victory, I just want to say I want to give a shout out to my friends at the Make-A-Wish Foundation. There's some really (laughs) good kids who want me to come and and help them do picks, bedside picks. So I'm doing that. I'm doing that now that I'm now that I'm on top. I just want to You're make like sure John I... Jones, Nick. Just just giving it away. As soon as you become champ, just like all these special causes. Like I said, through him I can do all I can do all things. Through him you can do all things, Nick. And and you know what? I'm proud of both you and God. Uh the main event, Usman versus Masvidal, Nikolai. Weird circumstances leading into it, obviously. Uh Masvidal ended up taking the fight on six days' notice after, you know, he negotiated his way out of being booked in advance for the bout. Came in and, I mean, let's face it, he was tired probably about five or six minutes in. He never stopped trying. He literally was trying to finish whenever humanly possible, every moment in that fight that they were standing at a distance. Jorge Masvidal was trying to take Usman's head off. He avoided most of the takedowns, and then he got held up against the fence and foot stomp for the majority of the fight, unfortunately. Uh, Won the first round, I thought, pretty clearly in my book. I know he got taken down, but there was no damage taken, and he landed a lot of bombs on Usman in that first round. But he did get tired quickly, and then somehow, as a credit to him, kept going full power despite all of that every time he had a chance. And that's what I talk about when I speak about the difference between a mentally strong fighter getting tired and a fighter that still needs a lot of work in that department getting tired. When you're tired, you could still push full energy, right? You don't have to show that you're exhausted. You can actually make yourself pretend as if you're not. You can actually still expend serious energy. And Masvidal, with all of his experience, he knows this. His new mindset, he knows it. And then Usman landed body shots solidly. Uh, he had maybe a minute, a couple of minutes of solid ground and pound, and he's capable of doing serious damage to any opponent. But he's just extremely risk averse, especially in this short notice kind of weird circumstance of a matchup. Foot stumps don't actually do damage. They shouldn't score any points. But they do buy you more time in the clinch. That's the only thing they do is they let you stall for longer. And that was his, really the majority of his strategy for the fight. He had to basically survive at a distance, even though he did land the occasional body shot from there, which again, from him, that is gold, man. His body shots are phenomenal. It's what won him the fight against Colby Covington. And I think it played a big factor in this matchup where Masvidal only had about six days notice to the fight. 
Now, he may have won the fight, but he took way more damage, in my opinion, if you don't count the headbutts. And here's the thing about the headbutts. The announcers only noticed two or three of them on the broadcast. Nick, I counted five clear-cut foreheads to the chin and face of Masvidal. It happened repeatedly, Nick. It was not by accident. It was absolutely by design. I'm convinced of it. At some point, I don't know if you remember, I think it was in that fourth round where in the clinch, Usman landed that body shot. And Jorge, you can hear him say low blow. And it looked like it may have grazed the cup. And maybe it did make him feel a little uncomfortable there. But it landed clean to the body. But then on replay, Nick, you could see that he threw that body shot, you know, trying to land it clean. But then he literally put his hands onto Masvidal's cup immediately after. Like, I don't know if that was a cheating technique. I don't know if that was somehow an accident. But clearly Usman felt like he needed to cheat to win this fight and I don't think he needed to he could have won this fight without this funny business because every one of those headbutts is like a huge powerful overhand right to your opponent's jaw it makes a difference and that's the only damage that Masvidal wore in the entire bout I I said leading up to the fight that Usman would have a hard time taking Jorge down early and the only takedown he got early was by catching that kick in the first round and then after that it was much more difficult and it would get easier over time because of Masvidal's gas tank and that was pretty spot on. I mentioned Usman's body shots and they were a factor in this one and I have to give props to Jorge Masvidal for bearing the hatchet after after you know a hard-fought loss. He handled it really, really well. And I'm very curious to see this matchup in a full camp, maybe a year down the line, once Masvidal has faced a serious wrestler in the meantime. What are your thoughts, buddy? Uh, I'm not so down on, on Usman for those techniques. It's funny, though. I told you that I thought he looked like Evander Holyfield in his walkout, and Holyfield was... Uh, notorious for headbutts. That's the reason that Tyson gave for biting off, biting off his ear. <clears throat> I don't think Usman's going out there thinking, I'm going to headbite him. He's thinking, I'm going to move forward. I probably got a harder head. Remember, the guy that's get, that's doing the headbutting, it's no picnic for him either. Like it's, it is a pain. It is a painful collision. Joseph Benavides. I do have to object to object to one part of that. When you're leading with your forehead, like the top of your head is the hardest part, and that's the part of your head that's the least lo- likely to allow you to be knocked out. That's literally the biggest weapon on your entire head is the, the forehead area. And that's what Usman repeatedly hit him with. Every time Usman was in the clinch or going into the clinch, he would lead with that part of his head toward Masvidal's jaw. So it wasn't an accident. I think he wanted to make it rough and tumble. Yeah, I think he wanted to make it rough and tumble too, but he's not like, I'm going to land a headbutt. It's like, this is, my, this is my entry. This is my approach. And, uh, you know, if my head hits him, my head hits him. Which, like, I, it's not the cleanest thing ever, but... I don't. I don't mind it. It's, it's um, blatant fucking cheating, Nick. Blatant cheating. And he didn't need it. He could have easily. He absolutely could have won without that bullshit. But he just repeatedly did it. And Masvidal is too much of a man to complain about it. I give him props because those were hard shots, man. Well, Masvidal, I you know I, I always uh, champion fighters on this podcast for their composure. Masvidal was laughing a lot throughout it. I think it's because he realized he's. He he knows what he knows exactly what it takes. He knows what kind of athlete Usman is, because uh, that's what he is. He's really a su- he's a superhuman athlete, um, and I and I like the guy, but um, I like Ma- I generally like Masvidal too, and you know he's a great fighter, and he knew that he knew what is he knew what he had in his body. He knew how he just I think he thought the situation that he was in from a fitness perspective, from a strength perspective. From probably from Usman's techniques and and how his gas tank was feeling, I thought that he's, you know, he's he's just confident and tough and so experienced that I th- I think he found his own situation kind of, um, 
I think he was a, a, amusing. Yeah, I think he, he thought he was a little like mirthful um, about it and had kind of like a droll, a droll sense of humor about the whole fight, which certainly doesn't make, you know, when you've got a fighter that finds their current predicament amusing, it doesn't always make for great combat sports. Um, but it was a very, it was a very, very tall order. And he went out there the way the only, you know, the, the only way that he, he was going to win. And he certainly looked, looked pretty sharp um, on the feet and dangerous, uh, at least through that first round. Yeah, I mean, I thought he looked sharp on the feet every time that they were separated. He realized that this was his chance, and that's the difference between Masvidal from years ago and now, is that now he realizes that I'm going to give it every single thing I can. I'm going to try to finish these guys from the bottom of my heart, and it's been working. And I think he gave Usman his uh, most kind of dangerous fight, if you don't count that last bout with Colby Covington, where Usman lost at least two rounds. I think uh, Masvidal had a decent performance considering the circumstances. I don't think he could necessarily, I don't think he's likely to beat him uh, even with a full training camp, but I think having this experience against him and knowing what he needs to do will equip him better than just a training camp going into their first fight. Uh, I agree. So let's talk about um, the co-main event. Yes, sir. That was a great fight as well. What are your thoughts on Max versus Volkanovski? Yeah, my my thoughts are, and I picked Volkanovski in those first two rounds. I was like, "Oops," yeah. because I I did not I did not believe that the Max Holloway that we saw in when he really came of age. I'm talking probably the Ricard, his performances from L- Ricardo Lamas. Um, not that he'd had bad performances before this, but from Lamas through Ortega, he was otherworldly. Yeah, I agree. he was three steps ahead. He was three steps ahead of everybody. Supreme confidence was able to take the time to troll and essentially do commentary against elite fighters in the middle of fights. He was just he looked he looked uh, he looked unstoppable until he went in and fought that that much larger uh th- much thicker power puncher uh in, in Dustin Poirier. Um then he looked pretty good against Frankie, but not great and Frankie's still a little dude at any at any weight class. Um uh, but I thought that against Volkanovski, he, you know, and against Frankie, he looked like he was still wearing the Poirier fight. And I thought to myself, and I said this last week, I don't think he's ever going to come back to that guy that 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 Ortega Aldo uh, level performance. And for those first two rounds, man, he he surprised the hell out of me. I was like, well, he got the break, and Max is back. I was wrong. But after those two rounds. Volkanovski, you know, kept his uh, composure. Basically, kept his same his, his compo- well his same his same pace. His composure was a little wonky at times, but he was like, "I better do something. I better do something." He kept it up. He certainly didn't give up. Although, from listening to the commentary, and I usually love Bisbing, but Bisbing was got on the max train very early and did not get off of it for the entire fight. I think you're right. Um, which I think which I think colors the way that a lot of people scored three and four, but Ma- I. I I did not see. I haven't watched the fight a second time. I did not see Volkanovski land a shot that that looked like it would have taken, say, twenty percent of Max's soul. Max yeah. looked to be in tremendous shape. I don't know what happened, but after two rounds of looking like one of the top three pound for pound fighters in the world, Max looked older and slower again. See, he lost something while Volkanovski turned it on and was able to get into a rhythm. And Max didn't look bad for the rest of the fight, but just serious drop off in his performance. And Volkanovski took advantage of that. And in my mind, I did score at three, four, and five uh, for him, although I was aware that three at least could go either way. 
So I was I was surprised when they read the uh, when they read the result, announced the result. What did you think? You were talking about how that shift happened after round two. And here's the thing. I think Max, I talked about the adjustments that he would need to make for this bout in order to win it. And they were there because three of those rounds uh, from their first fight, you could argue two of them could go either way. One of them belongs to Max, in my opinion, right? So there's an argument to be made that Max may have deserved that last decision if you factor in a couple close rounds. But what he needed to do differently this time was pressure immediately like he did late in the last fight. And he did that specifically from the very beginning of the bout this time. And that made all of the difference, right? Not only that, but it helped Max that Volk's kind of Volkanovsky's mindset for this bout was, I'm going to finish him this time. The last time, Volk was really focused on fakes and feints to draw out offense for Max, which would then allow Volkanovsky to counter because Max wasn't moving his head well. He was going to be there for the counter, right? This time, Volkanovsky's mindset was, I'm just going to go at him and hit him. And he wasn't giving enough of those fakes and feints in the first two rounds, which allowed Max to essentially run away with it. Max hurt him a couple of times and even like pointed to him and kind of mimicked that, that uh, you know, buckled knees movement at one point in that first round. Max was just in his game and Volkanovski could not quite keep up. And then what happened was Volkanovski shifted, again, not only his mindset, but he also started to fake more. He showed Max a lot more respect following that second round. And he went back very much to give or take to the same plan that he had in their first bout from early on. And Max, it took him a little while to figure out that shift and that change. And that's why he wasn't having success. And that's why, in my opinion, he started to turn it on again in the fifth. So Max was aggressive early, which was phenomenal. The head movement and the counters were perfect because what he did was he let Volkanovski go first. He would slip and counter as Volkanovski was throwing and he got him almost every single time. It was phenomenal. And then at a distance, the other thing that worked for Max in the last fight were his right kicks. And he went heavy on those this time and again, scored him a lot of points and and buzzed uh, Volkanovski a couple of times. Now, I think the Zoom training thing for Max, I, at this point, am under the impression that that's bullshit. I think that... In Hawaii, the lockdown, they take pretty seriously. And I think he would have gotten a lot of heat had he been open about the fact that he and his coaches get together. I also think he views himself as kind of an influencer, as a role model. And he didn't want to show the, the those kids in Hawaii and elsewhere that respect him, that look up to him, that it's okay to break quarantine. So I think the Zoom training thing was just an interesting storyline, kind of like Joanna not making weight a couple of fights ago. It was just like this thing that added something to the rematch or to the fight. Um Volkanovski was, again, more aggressive, and that's what allowed Max to have that uh, advantage early. His fakes and feints that he added in the second and third round made all the difference. So going into the fifth round, we now have uh, a 2-2 two and two scorecard, I thought so anyway. And the fifth round was overall fairly competitive. I thought Max was ahead by several shots leading into that last minute when Volkanovski was able to get a clean takedown. Even though Max got up immediately in a super close fight, that's going to count in the judge's eyes. And not only that, but when Max went for that late takedown, Volkanovski was able to reverse him and get top position. Now, Volkanovski did zero damage from up top, right? So it shouldn't give him much, but it gave him just enough to earn that decision. And so I understand why the fifth round is the round that uh, was given to Max on, by that one judge that gave him the fight. That's the round that I would score for him. I think that round could be scored either way. And those takedowns alone, if you don't count them uh, for as much, then Max did a little bit more damage in that fifth round. That's why he deserved it. I have no problem with the decision. I scored it for Volkanovski personally because I think those takedowns 
are fair game because otherwise the round was so very close. So I'm definitely fine with the decision and I'm curious to see the third fight. Now that these guys have all of these nuances already built in, the third fight should be all the more interesting. And I think the narrative is going to be that Max deserved this decision and it was a screw job. Even Dana White made it sound like it was clearly a screw job. And uh, again, I didn't think so. Both guys showed so much grit in that fifth round and I give them both props, but I do totally understand the decision. Let's talk uh, bantamweight championship. We had Pieter uh, Jan against Jose Aldo, the Russian against the Brazilian, uh, the young stud against the old lion, uh, and it went as most young stud versus old lion fights go. Yeah, I, I would say for the most part it did. Uh, Aldo was winning that first round looking really good. I, I talked about how Aldo is going to make this extremely competitive in the first couple of rounds. And then things are going to start progressively going more and more into Yan's favor. That's exactly how it happened. I talked about how Yan is going to finish him late. And that's exactly how it happened. Unfortunately, it was a late stoppage, I think, by most standards. Uh, Aldo looked good for the majority of that first round. And then he got hurt at the very end on the ground as Yan was able to score with that body shot. I think Yan scored a takedown off of a kick from Aldo late. Um, and Aldo was kicking again, this time to the calf, which was awesome to see. Aldo no, was, it was, wait, 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 uh-huh. wait, Stan, it was Aldo. I thought it was, it was Aldo's takedown that got reversed. You, th- I think you might be right. You might just be right, Nick. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, which reversing the takedown alone wouldn't do much, right? But he scored serious damage and he hurt Aldo to the rib. I have not seen a ground and pound body shot cause damage like that. Yeah, it's pretty rare. I can't think of another example. I feel like I've seen it maybe with somebody like Fedor. I think it's happened before, but it's rare, man. It really, really is. And so, yeah, phenomenal end of the first round by Peter Yan. And he's done this before to guys like Jimmy Rivera. He could be losing a round and then pick up that round by just hurting his opponent at the end. Yan was really kind of brilliant with the strategy going into the fight. And he spoke about it afterward, how he knew that Aldo was going to be dangerous in the first two rounds. And so his his pressure in the first two rounds was going to be almost purely fakes and feints. He didn't want to give Aldo much of a chance to counter him big. So he rarely threw that jab cross, that power one-two that he likes to throw. And then in that third round on, he realized that that's when Aldo tires. And that's when I can pick up the pressure with actual offense and actually start to buckle and break him. And that's exactly how it happened. Really, really impressive stuff. I thought Aldo looked good and uh, fairly competitive in that third and fourth round, even though he lost it, in my opinion, fairly clearly. I thought he was competitive. And his cardio, his gas tank lasted a little bit more than expected. Yan's speed was better than I expected. That could have been because he was facing a 145-pounder in this case, but he's usually a bit slower than the average top 135-er. And I, I just thought that Yan is deserving of being a top two fighter in the division. He's probably he could be deserving of number one, the number one spot. But Marlon Marais and Aljamain Sterling are still at least as accomplished as he is in the division. And I really look forward to seeing Sterling face off with Yan in the near future. And I'd love to see the winner of that fight, Triple C. So who knows? Uh, the one thing I'll say about Aldo is, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a fight that you and I have talked about before, which is Holly Holm. Uh, versus Amanda Nunes. We've talked about how like Holly Holm kind of got caught in the middle of a kick. I feel like in this fight, Al- Aldo's strategy, he kind of got caught in the middle. And what I mean by that is when you look at how he went out against Max, and especially in the first Max fight, he threw some crazy Aldo flurries uh, that landed with like old school Aldo. Um, ferocity. Inte- yeah. just in- feroc- ferocity is exactly the right word. Thank you. Um, and he, he lost both uh, both of those fights to Max in the third round. There were opportunities in the first and second round where I saw 
the knee. I saw the flying knee was open for Aldo. I saw that like that the opportunity to catch uh, to catch Jan potentially with a flurry to go at him with a six or seven punch combo was there. And I think that the I think as we talked about, I said if, if Aldo's going to win this fight, he's going to knock him out in the second round, or he's going to lose late. I feel like Aldo held back a little bit on the on the ferocity he was yes he was throwing leg kicks yes he was throwing body shots the leg kicks weren't didn't have quite the snap that they did back in the day when he was leg kick aldo they were good and it was nice to see them and they hurt but it wasn't like um a car backfiring or a baseball bat against a tree it wasn't like 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 edson barbosa throws i think it's probably because of an injury nick to shin maybe maybe but i still think aldo could have gone listen if he was going to gas anyway I think he I think he could have gone a little bit harder in one and two to try to close it out because after three rounds, he there was nothing there. There was nothing left after three. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's what I will say. I think there's a higher price to pay if you're being aggressive against a power hitter versus if you're being aggressive against kind of a more of a point hitter. Max Holloway doesn't have the kind of power, even on the counter, that Peter Yan does. And so... Against Peter Yan, you're going to pay a bigger price if he does catch you on the counter. Is I think part of why Aldo was holding back a little bit, and also Aldo knows what it feels like to be overwhelmed by an opponent once he's exhausted. And I think that's one of the lessons that he learned from those Max Holloway performances: is that if he could just taper himself a little bit, he could last much longer and give him himself a much higher chance of winning. If he had not gotten hurt at the end of that first round, right, he would have had two rounds in the bank at the end of two, and then he just needed one more round and then to survive to a decision. And so I, I think it was the right strategy largely by Aldo is just getting hurt in the end of that first round was probably what, what really hurt him because if he had w- walked into that third round with two rounds of the bank, he could have very well had the mental capacity to win and confidence to win that third round or at least make it extremely close, right? And then we're talking about Fifth round makes a big difference. Yen needs to win the fifth round to even stand a chance. We're talking about a very different situation. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think part of that is he knows that he has a limit on his conditioning with how fast he is, with how explosive he is, and also that he's gonna, there's a big price to pay if you're being aggressive against a guy that hits as hard as Piotr Yen. So let's talk about the rest of the, the main card. We had Rose Namajunas, uh, the former champion, against the more recent former champion, Jessica Andrade. Uh, I'll largely let you handle, handle this one, but I think, it was, um, I think it was a pretty terrific fight. You saw both of them improve. Uh, Rose Namajunas improved greatly uh, her me- the mental aspect of her game uh, and her composure, that word I always go back to. And Andrade, I felt, looked like a much more sophisticated striker uh, than, than she had been previously, and I thought she managed her gas tank. Uh, quite well. I mean, I just thought it was two elite fighters who were both better than the last time they fought. Yeah, I commend Jessica Andrade for making the improvements. She realized that just going in head first, swinging bombs is not going to work against a sharpshooter early in the fight. And Rose looked as good as she did early in the last fight, except this time Andrade was more tempered. And I think that's what made it just a clear-cut couple of rounds for Rose, but not rounds in which she caused serious damage like she did in, early in their first fight. Now, I'm always going to favor Jessica Andrade in a five-rounder against Rose, but I'm always going to favor Rose in a three-rounder against Andrade. There's a reason I picked Andrade last time and that I picked Rose this time. And the next time, if they fight in a five-rounder, I'm going to pick Jessica Andrade with confidence because once that second round is over, Rose has to slow down with the amount of speed that she could put out there. Not unlike Aldo, 
right? If you're going to go full blast, if you're going to apply serious speed and power, you're going to get tired. And Jessica is only going to keep getting stronger as the fight goes on. Jessica's conditioning has always been a serious strength for her. So, yeah, I mean, a, a great fight. Two elite fighters would love to see a five-rounder if they're going to fight again. And I think Jessica Andrade will probably take this trilogy. Um, Amanda Rebus ran through Paige Van Zantnick. I mean, she made the odds makers look brilliant for this one, even though uh, Paige looked in the best shape of her career. Yeah, it just, this was a squash. This is a squash, the preliminary, I mean, it was like a pro wrestling style squash fight. I agree. But I will say Amanda Rebus took full advantage of the showcase. Not only did she smoke Paige Van Zant, Star making performance. But then that post-fight interview, Nick, she is so cute. Charming. Um, and lovable. Yep. Yeah, I thought she was awesome. And, uh, and, and yeah, she's got real star potential. I think Dana White took notice of it, and I'm hoping they're seriously going to push her now. Can't wait to see her continue her pr- career. And I think we have to talk about the Jiri Prochaska knockout over Vulcan Ozdemir. He is, in my opinion, the real deal. He is super tall, super fast, very athletic, has serious power, and he throws combinations at all times. I mean, for light heavyweight, Nick, you see a prospect like this probably once every 10 or 15 years. Uh, he was able to take the bombs early from Ozdemir and then come back and catch a knockout. The first round actually went exactly as I thought the whole fight would go, and that he would look quicker and land his shots, but Ozdemir's chin would stand up to them, and Ozdemir would time him well and land bigger bombs to score a decision. The problem is that head kick in the second round from Jiri was all that it took, and with his killer instinct, he absolutely demolished Vulcan Ozdemir. Very much looking to forward to seeing him compete in the future. I think this guy could potentially be a future champ, but I'd love to see more of his ground game. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you know, he fought he fought Muhammad Lal twice, winning, uh, you know, winning one of those bouts. Um, and I think he's probably looking at his record. He's taken on a couple of grapplers, but uh, it's like I watched him like, oh, geez, this is Johnny Walker, but good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a probably a pretty good <laughs> comparison. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a bummer, bummer for Ozdemir because I really like him. And I, I wanted him to have more, more, more success than he's had. I really think he's a good fighter. I agree, and literally this was the best version of Vulcan Ozdemir that walked into that octagon. He looked in the best shape of his life. He's been performing the best he ever has in his last couple of fights, and only more improvements would be what you would expect. And he looked good in that first round despite the speed and reach disadvantage. But man, that that head kick changed everything around. Outside of that, we already spoke about uh, the Muslim Salikov, Felicia Zaleski Dos Santos bout. I hope they book a rematch. I thought it was a pretty bad screw job. Unfortunately, I think the Vulcan versus Max conversation will keep everyone's minds off of this screw job and it really is a in my opinion a bad decision uh makwan army comedy first round submission kind of as expected short work for mr finland yeah it takes a real athletic prospect to beat makwan army Kani. he'll always beat those mid-level ufc guys and that's exactly what this was leonardo santos versus roman bogatov was a shit show train train wreck it really was roman bogatov like i'll be very surprised if they let him fight again i don't think his english or his corners english was to the point where they could communicate what was going on i have not yeah. seen um fouls that didn't seem it just seemed like he didn't know what he was doing it didn't seem like he was trying to cheat it just didn't seem like he had yeah. any i either with composure or no idea what the rules were or, or what but santos won the first two rounds handily he put him on uh on Goofy Street in the second round in a big yeah. way. Uh, Roman Roman Bogatov, though, we punched himself out, and Bogatov was, he's tough dude. He stayed in it. But, man, that third round, it's like, cup, you know, cup shot, cup shot. And then, like, a really egregious knee to the head. It's just like, bro. 
Um, so yeah, we, maybe and there's a reason now Leonard, Leonardo Santos will take two years off before he fights again. <laughs> no fucking joke. <laughs> Marcin, Marcin Tabura, uh, Maxime Grishin. Let's, there's not much to say. Marcin Tabura was bigger. Maxine Grisham seemed very nervous about the size and getting taken down. So it was yeah. it was like a 15-minute 15, 15 game of Fatso Footsie. No thanks. It basically was. I just want to quickly say Grisham didn't fight to win, which he has the potential to win this matchup. He fought not to get taken down, and that's it. That, that was his only goal in this fight, and he failed at it. And it was disappointing because he could be a real prospect in the division. He's been undefeated for his last many fights, so it's, it's unfortunate that this is his debut. But I hope he changes his mindset for the next one because that's, that's incredible disappointing now this next fight still is the only one that I, I haven't seen on the card um so you can take this on uh, uh julian uh julian paiva versus zalgas zumagalov it was honestly a, a pretty solid fight uh zumagalov came on strong toward the end uh i think there were a couple of unintentional low blows as paiva threw something and, and zalgas kind of walked right into them um nothing that looked remotely intentional or amateurish but it was a good high level uh, flyweight bout, and I look forward to seeing both guys again. I think Paiva is an extremely serious prospect. Again, coming into this bout, he was 1-2 and two in the UFC. The guy's a serious prospect. Could be argued to be undefeated, and uh, I look forward to seeing him continue his rise up the rankings. Uh, Carol Rosa outworked Vanessa Mello like we expected, and Davy Grant, spectacular knockout over Martin Day. Davy Grant has had some of the biggest improvements over the last several years, even though he fights sporadically. He has looked so much better in his last two fights. I actually am starting to see him as a, again, maybe a future prospect, even though he's in his 30s at this point. Yeah, that was thunderous. No fucking joke. It was an insane knockout. Nick, let's take a break. We're going to get into the upcoming cards next. Give these guys our picks because let's face it, we are kind of fucking awesome at it, Nikolai. Let's take a break. We're not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Back on the MMA Geek Seal of a podcast to break down the upcoming two UFC cards. Nick, we've got UFC on ESPN coming up this Wednesday, main evented by Dan Ige and Calvin Qatar. And we've also got UFC Fight Night this Saturday in a matchup between Davidson Figueredo and Joseph Benavides for the flyweight title. So what we're going to do is, Nick, we're going to combine some of the best fights on both cards, a total of 13 bouts to this draft competition that you and I hold every week. The top five cards from Wednesday's card are going to be in rotation, so the main card from Wednesday, and then we selected some of the fights that we thought were the more interesting, with the more interesting names on it from Saturday's card as well. 13 bouts in total. Nick, I had the first pick last week. I'm going to go ahead and let you take it this week. Go for it, buddy. Oh, th th thank you for uh, for being gracious. Now, with these two cards welcome. combined, I feel like I'm, de I'm defending my title with a, with a special stipulation. <laughs> it's like I won the belt, and now you're like, all right, we're doing it hell in a cell. Loser, leave the podcast. Oh, yeah. So my first pick is going to be from uh, – it's going to be f uh, from when from tomorrow's card, Wednesday's card. We're recording everyone uh, very early. Well, not that early, but early for me feeling on Tuesday morning. Um, I'm going to go with the Fortis MMA fighter, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, whose name is maybe the most fun name to say in all of MMA. Um, over Monir uh, Lazaz, uh, a, uh, a striker out of Dubai. Um, 
Like Al Hassan is as most of our listeners, if you're if you're a fan of ours, you probably know. Uh he was out of the mix because of legal trouble, uh ugly legal trouble of the sexual assault variety. I believe he was fully acquitted. I forgot that name. Yada yada and all of that. Um well, Google it to make sure I'm not slandering the man, but I believe that that was the I case. Think you're right, yeah. And he he got out of it, um, but man, he before that he's he's a he's a tough <laughs> tough mean dude, terrific striker, um, incredible power and athleticism, and he's fighting a guy who it's worth saying is from Dubai, and Fight Island is I believe in in Abu Dhabi. Um, so n- neighboring, and it's like all of a sudden a first fight on this card after Fight Island's happening. I'm like, all right, this guy's got an opportunity, but it's a it's a tough draw. Really, it's is. a really tough draw, and maybe maybe he shocks the world. You know, this it wouldn't be the first time that someone that was uh, fairly un unheralded in the pop in the world of sort of like popular known MMA fighters. Maybe he walks in like Houston Alexander on Keith Jardine. I just I haven't seen anything to to lead me to believe um, that he's that he's going to uh, be able to outstrike uh, Abdul Razak Hassan. Yeah, I am largely with you there on the picnic. Hassan is ten and one, four and one in the UFC. All his wins are by first round knockout. Judo Black Belt has a loss to Omari Ahmedov. Basically got taken down and controlled for a split decision, although I thought it was pretty clear for Omari. Trains with Fortis MMA, like you said, with the likes of Joff Neal and Diego Ferreira under coach Saif Saoud. Then we've got Monir the Sniper Lazas. It's a Tunisian fighter from Team Nogueira, Dubai, 9-1, making his UFC debut. He is 6-2 to Al-Hassan's 5-10, so he's got a, quite a bit of reach. He's got fast hands, some heart. He's come back a couple times to get finishes. Not the best takedown defense, and in my opinion, takes too many shots to do well against Al-Hassan. I think Al-Hassan's power takes over real early and makes this a quick one for the fighter that's going to certainly have the little bit of the crowd that's there on his side. My first was this pick, your, by the way, was this... Uh... Good. This was this was my very first picnic. Yeah, so so good of you, my friend. <laughs> well, well done, you a-hole. <laughs> my first pick is going to be Grant Dawson to beat Nad Narmani. Grant, oh. Grant Dawson being a decent sized favorite. This one's actually from Saturday's card, Nick. So we're already making a bit of a switch here. Grant Dawson is 15-1, 3-0 in the UFC. Trains at Glory MMA with James Krause, uh, who is his chief corner man. Wins over tough champion Mike Trezano and uh, Julian Arosa, who recently got picked up a big come-from-behind win. He's a pressure grappler, man. He just literally sticks to you at some point and never lets you go until he's got you on the floor. And if he can't get you to the floor, he'll hold you on that fence and he'll pound away. He kind of likes to strike his way into those clinch situations from which he can get takedowns. He's got excellent chokes. Uh, cardio for days, man. Like You think he's tired in the middle of that second round, but third round he's pushing... 100% the entire time. He's got some power in his hands, but not really very developed ground game yet. And then we've got Nad Narmani, who's 12-3, 2-1 in the UFC, went over Cali Taha, a loss to Mike Grundy. He trains with Team Alpha Male, at least on and off, coming back after 16 months off. He's generally kind of a low-paced striker, got some decent power, goes for takedowns once he's in control. I think Dawson should be able to pressure Narmani into a submission by the second round. I tend to choose kind of the master of one rather than the jack of all trades when given that choice. 
choice. And Grant Dawson has a real talent for MMA grappling, whereas Nadir Armani is just, you know, kind of a wrestle boxer and not necessarily at a very high level on both of those regards. So I've got Dawson here. Yeah, I had the same for largely the same reason. I just think that Dawson's a, ter- a terrific and powerful grappler. This was that was going to be my fifth pick. Oh wow! Okay. Um, my second pick, however, is you may have had this one further down. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, from tomorrow from the Wednesday card: Meatball Molly McCann to defeat uh, Talia Santos. I think that you're you're dealing with a very experienced fighter who's had much higher level competition um, and who's better all around. Santos uh, has a, a bit of a padded record. A lot of her wins, um, as, as I, I heard when I was doing some of my research, came against fighters with zero wins, uh, a lot of her KOs. So she's got hands, but I just don't think she's going to have anything that McCann hasn't seen before. And I think I th- actually think this is going to be more overwhelming than the odds reflect. I think you're just dealing with a much more experienced, higher level, all around MMA fighter, you know, versus someone who's still largely a national regional fighter. Yeah, I'm there with you on the pick. I know Molly McCann is your girl. She is super likable, just a dynamo in that octagon, throws excellent hands and slams people around once she gets kind of some dominance going in about. Uh, Santos is 15-1, and one, has one loss to Mara Romero Morella by split decision, and that was her UFC debut. Most of her careers against, like you said, 0-1 and 0-0 fighters. She's big, decent takedowns and submissions. One shot at a time when it comes to standing up, really. She doesn't put combos together. She can be pressured, taken down, and controlled, which is what happened against Barella, and that's why she lost that fight. And McCann is not the fighter you want to face if that's the case. She's uh, 10-2, 3-1 in the UFC. Beat mostly non-UFC-level talent and good fundamentals, Solid pressure, head movement, and footwork. Uh, her boxing is solid, and her heart and determination is top-notch. Molly really only beats submission fighters in the UFC, but Santos' combined records of her opponents before her last win was 7-11, and 11, Nick. And most of them are 0-0 or 0-1, so Molly will pressure out land and take down for the decision win in this one. I agree with you, buddy. My next pick is going to be from Saturday's card. It's going to be Joe Duffy to beat Joel Alvarez. I feel like Joe Duffy, he's on a two-fight losing streak. He's a huge favorite, so the odds are a little bit lopsided here. He's 16-4, and 4-3 in the UFC. Has an early career win over Conor McGregor, and that's kind of his claim to fame. It's why he's on a lot of people's radars. Was a prospect, but kind of recently turned into a bit of a journeyman. After going 4-1 and one earlier in his career, he is on a two-fight skid. He's got wins over some mid-level fighters, losses to talented fighters, solid boxing, a good takedown defense. And the last time I checked, he trains at TriStar Gym. I believe he's still over there uh, training with those guys in Peraza Sahabi. Joel Alvarez is 16-2, 1-1 in the UFC, trains out of Spain. Decent submission grappler, very tall for lightweight. He's 6-3 for Pete's sake. Stand-up is okay, not really that developed, and very, very low output for this guy. Duffy is seemingly past his prime, but Alvarez hasn't done anything to make me think that that'll matter in this matchup. Duffy should win at least two rounds for a decision, I think, just by out outlanding and out-pushing the pace. Uh, he should have the advantage here. Yeah, I had also picked Duffy, but I actually had this as my ninth pick, uh, mostly because he's looked so flat since going to TriStar, and in those last two fights, 
And you don't know who's going to show up. And I wonder if TriStar is the right gym for him. When I think about guys that are success, have a lot of success there, they're just super athletic. They're like super, those super athletic, like nimble guys with those almost like elastic, fast jabs. I, I don't know. He just hasn't, he has not, um, he just doesn't look good. So I don't know where he's going to be mentally. I don't know where he's going to be physically. So whereas I'm picking him, I had him much further down because I just think there's a lot of unknowns around Joe Duffy's performance, even against um, a guy like Joel Alvarez. Yeah, I'm there with you. I think that's why the like that's why I think the odds are silly at minus three sixty five for Joe. Very Duffy. silly. Yeah, but again, Joe Alvarez. So far, what he's shown in the UFC is that he's not really willing to pull the trigger, and his ground game is pretty good. And that shouldn't be enough to beat Joe Duffy, even if you're taller than him by a couple of inches. What's your next pick, yep. buddy? Uh, my next pick is I'm going to pick Mark Diakizi against Rafael Fiziev, uh, um, who I believe is from Kyrgyzstan. This is a striker. Listen, this is a – it should be fun. It's got fight of the night potential. This is a striker versus striker um, battle. The fact is, though, that in the UFC, with his striking, Mark Diakizi had, has had uh, more success. Um, that Viziev has, who found himself um, knocked out. Uh, who, who KO'd him again? Viziev? It was a Russian man with the name Magomed in there somewhere. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. looked has looked really, really good. I think this is going to be a, a fun firefight. Um, I don't think either man's going to decide to make this uh, a wrestling battle. I just think that in the UFC, Diakizi is a is a, a more proven striker. I disagree with this pick. Fiziev is 7-1, 1-1 in the UFC. He's a high-level Muay Thai fighter. He actually is a coach at Tiger Muay Thai. He pressures mainly with fakes and feints, kind of like uh, Piotr Yan, with hard low kicks at a distance. And then as soon as you throw something at him, he counters with big combos, switches stances constantly. He has, uh, from what I understand, the same striking coach as Valentina Shevchenko, he will go for the occasional takedown from the clinch with not very much ground and pound once he does. Slows down in the third round a bit, but still throws with speed and power. Diakasi is 14-3, and 5-3 and three in the UFC. He's on a two-fight winning streak after a three-fight skid. Left American top team to train at home in England. He's a long-range kickboxer, favors calf kicks, spitting attacks. He's on a two-fight winning streak right now. And he will go for kind of body-like takedowns as the fight progresses. Since... Diakasi loses to pressure fighters in his UFC career. I'm picking Fiziev. Diakasi has improved a lot, and his takedowns and calf kicks are a serious concern. And I know Fiziev's not super experienced at this level, but um, it's a slight edge toward Fiziev, who is the underdog in this matchup, Nick. My next pick is going to be... I'll take Calvin Cater to beat Dan Ige. As much as Dan Ige looked really good in his last fight, uh, probably his best performance of his career, even though it was somewhat of a controversial decision, uh, his win over Barboza. I, I think that this style matchup favors Calvin in a lot of ways. Calvin is 21-4, and 5-2 and two in the UFC. He's ranked number six in the world. His last four wins are by knockout over Shane Burgos, Ricardo Lamas, and Jeremy Stevens are among those victims. And that's an impressive list, not only to beat, but to knock out. He trains in Boston with Rob Font, spent time in Vegas at Syndicate leading up, I believe, to this matchup. Excellent jab, overall great boxing, incorporates kicks recently more and more. His takedown defense is 77%, but when he does get taken down, he gets up right away. Um, he has a weakness against long-range kickers with footwork. Yari Rodriguez, Zabit Magomed Sharipov were kind of the classic examples of someone who could 
could beat him. By no means is Ige that guy. My concerns are that he's better on the front foot than the back foot, and Ige tends to pressure a lot. And he blocks without countering against blitzes, which, again, definitely leads me to some concern in the matchup. Ige's 14-2, number 10 in the world, 6-1 in the UFC with wins over Mirsad Bektik and Edson Barboza. Trains at Extreme Couture in Vegas. He's a relentless pressure fighter. Full power blitzes, even though he's not necessarily the most athletic. He's fairly fast. Great ground game. Two finishes on the ground of the UFC. Takes damage, but doesn't care. He, he just he just keeps pushing no matter what happens, but he does wear it. You'll see it on him. Calvin has a four-inch height advantage, one-inch reach advantage. His takedown defense, his cardio late. Uh, I think five rounds is plenty of time for him to do enough damage on Ige to be able to finish him. I don't think Ige will do enough damage in the first few rounds to really round out this fight. So I like Calvin Cater in this one. But. I, I had the same pick, and this one was coming up soon for me. Love both of these guys. One, how can one not love Ige's story, even though he did not deserve the victory against Barbosa? He just he fight, he fights with such tenacity. He wills victories. He's got some, he does have some serious pop. But we're talking about, you know, he's going against a fighter who's only lost uh, two decisions to the most elite of competition at 145 and who is a brutal finisher at a high level. He's finishing top 15, top 10 guys. Um, Not a, you know, not a decision guy. He doesn't fight recklessly, but he's got I just can't see him over five rounds um, not doing some serious damage and potentially I would even say likely finishing. Um, Iga, a notoriously tough guy to keep down. I'm there with you, definitely, bud. What's your next pick? Let's see here. It starts to get interesting. Um, my, yeah, it does. Uh, my next pick is going to be... Oh, boy. That was my next pick. So where am I going to go? <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Jimmy Rivera over Cody Stamen. Uh, I know Cody Stamen, who's overwhelmingly picked on on a lot of sites right now uh, by fans, even though the odds favor Rivera. Um, listen, he had that very like exciting and inspirational victory after the loss of his brother, um, but it was not against a, a, an opponent the level of Jimmy Rivera, who maybe hit his peak 18 months, two years, maybe three years ago. But he's still a, a you know a real tough dude in that team alpha male style. He's got. Um, I just, I just think Jimmy Rivera's got uh, more tools, better striking. Um, he's not going to get, uh, he's not going to get held down. Um, I just think he's a, be- I think he's a better technical and all-around fighter. And unless there's been a substantial drop off since his, since his last fight, I think he wins a, a pretty, maybe twenty nine, twenty eight, or, a, or a, a unanimous decision. Yeah, I am there with you on this one. I like Rivera. He's a Tiger Showman's New Jersey guy, 22 and 4, 6 and 3 in the UFC, number 9 in the world. After going 5 and 0, he's 1 and 3 in his last four fights. He's got wins over Uriah Faber, Pedro Munoz, John Dotson. Really impressive list there. He's quick, he's technical, he's got good footwork, and he throws a lot of those low calf kicks. He's getting up there as far as wear and tear. He's losing his chin a bit, but he only lost to literally the very top three fighters in the division right now. Uh, he has great takedown defense, 95%, only gave up one takedown in the UFC thus far, which is probably the biggest reason that I'm favoring Rivera here. Stamen is a guy from Extreme Couture in Vegas, 19-2, 5-1 in the UFC. His only loss coming to Aljamain Sterling in the UFC. Wrestlers 
he's a wrestler, but he's seen big strides in his striking. All of his wins are by decision. He has no knockdowns in his UFC career, which is another reason why I'm really favoring uh, Jimmy here. The chin shouldn't be much of an issue since Stamen doesn't really hit all that hard. Who, wait, 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 wait. Who's knocked down Jimmy Rivera aside from Peter Yan, who's who we all know is like a face melter at 135? Marlon Marais knocked him out. Oh, that's and right. I'm not sure if Aljamain Sterling hurt him as well, but I know it was a pretty dominant win for Sterling. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, Marais like could knock out anyone. I, yeah, I mean, those are those are guys who are just in his last three fights, he's been knocked down at least four times. Okay, and that's that's going to be a factor as far as how much punishment he can take now again the good news is that Stamen is not known as a hard hitter even though he's really improving in that regard so the chin shouldn't be really that much of an issue now here's the thing he had a eight inch reach disadvantage against Jan and you and I both thought that he was doing really well in each of those rounds until the very last moments where Jan was he able was. to knock him down this time Nick he has a four inch reach advantage which like never happens for Jimmy Rivera he's always the much smaller guy his takedown defense is excellent should be more technical and win a points based decision yep I just want to stress that I said uh, Rivera fights in an alpha male style because I do think he has some of the skills of those guys but I was not implying he fights with that gym I feel that I um, you clear. oh one one thing I do have to clear up real quickly Nick and I know this is going to put egg on my face but you actually did go uh, I believe it was 11 and 2 for the last event you were right Yep, it wasn't 10 and 3 really really good picking event for you buddy now my next pick is going to be I like Arman Saryukian to beat Davi Hamos. Yes. Both of these guys are largely grapplers. Uh, Saryukian is a serious prospect, 14-2, and 1-1 one and one in the UFC. He's got a UFC win over Olivier Bin Mercier, and his loss was to the highly ranked Islam Makachev in his UFC debut. I think it was on... I think it was on short notice. I could be wrong. Trains up Tiger Muay Thai with Fiziev and those guys. Uh, good stand-up, fancy kicks, excellent grappling, and that's really the biggest factor with Saryukan. Uh, Davi Hamos is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter, 10-3, and 4-2 and two in the UFC. Really high-level BJJ. He's short but strong, good takedowns, solid grinder with, I guess you could say, improving hands. He's been working on it, but he's getting up there in age. I favor the younger man here. He's taller, longer reach, better stand-up, better wrestling. Should be fine off his back. At the very least, he will survive and get back to his feet if that does happen. So I like Saryukan here, and I'm a little bit surprised that uh, I get to pick him this late. Yeah, I actually, I had him in my mix of middle picks, but I agree with you. I agree with you completely. So I'm going to turbocharge and push ahead with my next pick, which is going to be Tim Elliott over Ryan Benoit. I think that, listen, Elliott's had a rough run, but overall he's a more, uh, I think, a more accomplished grappler, a better fighter. Yes, he's a little bit long in the tooth, but even after, I think, three in a row, he should I, I'm hopeful that he doesn't make enough mistakes that a fighter uh, the level of Benoit is able to beat him because Tim Elliott was, has been a top 10 uh, flyweight for a really long time. I know that Benoit had that win against Sergio Pettis that kind of put him on the map. He hasn't done a whole heck of a lot since then. Um, and I'm, I might I might regret this pick. I just think that Tim Elliott has enough left in the tank. Uh, I'm hopeful, despite the fact that I believe he's already lost twice this year and three times in the last seven months. Uh, that he's got enough to defeat this level of like, you know, outer top 15 flyweight competition. Yeah, Benoit is three and four in the UFC and Elliott's four and nine. So this is not exactly like the fight of the highest winning percentages. Benoit recently switched to Hansa Gracie in New York City. And I think his hands are looking faster. His kicks are looking better. So there are improvements from that. Elliott had a great tough run and looked good against Demetrius Johnson early, but he fell apart uh 
after that title shot, essentially going, you know, with a really tepid record uh, going after that. He keeps getting gassed after three to five minutes of going 100%. Um, I think it's weird that these this is the co-main event of Wednesday's card, but I like Benoit to outpace Elliott in the long term in this one. But again, I could easily see it going either way. Not, neither of these guys are big winners. My next pick is going to be in the Montel Jackson versus Brett Johns matchup, Nick. I'm going to pick... Montel Jackson, Johns is 4-2 two, and two in the UFC, losses to Pedro Munoz and Aljamain Sterling, solid grappler, developing striking. Jackson's 3-1 and one in the UFC, trains with the small Michigan gym with Zach Otto, fast hands, imposing wrestling game. He actually submitted Brian Kelleher to his credit. Real prospect at 135, he's 5'10 for that weight division, very tall. I favor Jackson's wrestling edge. Johns has given up eight takedowns in his last three fights, and Jackson's hands will be too fast, I think, for him. I don't see Jackson getting taken down enough times to lose here. So we've got three fights left to pick, and I don't really want to pick any of them. They're all super difficult. You want to quickly give me your pick for uh, this one, Nick? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Montel, ja- oh, yeah, I agree with it. Montel Jackson. I had the cool. exact uh, for same rationale, and I'm actually regretting not picking this fight before um, Elliot Benoit, which is probably tougher to call. Um, I feel that. But what are you gonna do, man? I look. I'm staring at these next three fights. There's only three left, right? We've got Pantoja, Askarov, we've got Ermanson, Gastelum, we've got Figueredo, Benavides. Those are all. Uh, yes, sir. Those are all tough, tough draws. I agree. Um, uh, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna go a little bit with my heart here. I'm gonna pick Joseph Benavidez to avenge uh, his headbutt defeat against Davison Figueredo. Um, it's Benavidez was looking really good. I thought in the in the opening, you know, aspects of that fight um, until until the headbutt. I just and I I think that what happened is really really pissed him off. I feel like he's probably more more driven um, than you know than ever. And I just I believe that Joseph Benavides is a guy who's very much mind over matter. Who's got a lot of who's got a lot of grit. Obviously, he's incredibly capable. He's been we've been watching him for like fifteen years now. Um, Davidson Figueredo is super powerful and and talented. He's like one hundred and twenty five pound Yoel Romero is what he looks like sometimes. And uh, he's just like, super explosive, you know, and well-rounded dude. Um, but he can't he can be beat. And I don't think he's that I think he's technical, but I don't think he's that like I don't think he has an amazing fight IQ. And I could see Ben I could see Benavidez wearing him out over five rounds and, and winning a decision. Yeah, I give you props for sticking to this pick. You and I disagreed on this pick uh, for their first matchup. I picked Figueredo. I expected him to finish Benavidez sooner or later as Benavidez runs forward headfirst into his offense, into his blitzes. Figueredo 7-1 in the UFC, wins over Moraga, Pantoja, Tim Elliott, Joe Benavidez. He lost to Formiga, who Benavidez finished twice, to be fair. Trains at an unknown gym in Brazil. Generally kind of a hunter, kind of similar to Peter Yan. He likes to he likes to give you fakes and feints. Improved takedown defense. He gets up pretty good. He's got good jiu-jitsu. Um, he actually usually lands less shots than his opponents in four of his uh, UFC fights. He landed less, but one. That's how much power he has. He doesn't have the highest of output. Um, Joe Benavidez used to be a team alpha male guy now at Extreme Couture, wins over Han Yaya, Formiga, Alex Perez, Henry Cejudo, really impressive those last two specifically, uh, losses to Sergio Pettis, Dominic Cruz, and Demetrius Johnson twice each, solid wrestling, very good jiu-jitsu, here's the thing, in their first fight, Figueredo took him down and almost submitted Benavidez early, and then he kind of just waited for the perfect counter shot to come, knowing that Benavidez would give him the opportunity by running in headfirst. He kept tagging him, but not very cleanly or very hard as Benavidez came in with 
both combos. Benavidez, I think, ended up winning that first round. In the second frame, Benavidez ran in with his forehead and smashed it into Formiga. And Benavidez was the one who was bleeding, but he wasn't really hurt. And then Benavidez starts circling, kind of touches that that spot, and that's when Figueredo lands a big right hand. I know Figueredo didn't make weight, and I know the headbutt happened, but that was Joe's fault. Uh, I think Figueredo was getting the knockout sooner or later, so I disagree with the pick. I commend you for sticking to your instincts, buddy. My next pick is going to be in the Pantoja versus Askarov matchup. Pantoja has a 6-2 UFC record, trains an American top team number four in the world at flyweight. He's a solid power striker, but really his high-level jiu-jitsu is what he's known for. Not very much depth in his stand-up. Askarov is 11-0-1, good takedowns, pretty good control, okay stand-up, plenty of heart. Giving the edge to Pantoja, he's got better standing, he's better on the ground, he has more experience, and his gas tech is a concern late, but Askarov is not really a finisher, so I'm comfortable with it. With picking Pantoja? Yes, sir. Yeah, this one I almost don't want to pick. I love Askarov. He's one of my favorite fighters, but I do. I did have Pantoja here. I had this as my, as my 12th pick out of 13, so you picked it exactly in the spot where I thought this fight should be picked. Um, really excited and looking forward to it, but I won't be surprised if Askarov pulls off a split decision victory. Wouldn't be shocked. The uh, very, very last pick. Um, interesting fight. Jack Hermanson against Kelvin Gastelum. Can't wait to watch this one, uh, which is on tomorrow night's. I'm sorry, this one's not. This is the co-main event on uh, Saturday's card. Damn it! I was That's all right. excited to watch it tomorrow night. Now, I know it really depends what Gastelum's going to show up. He looks so. He looked really good against Adesanya for a lot of it. He's looked terrific in so many of his fights. But sometimes he shows up either not in shape or just looking a little, a little uh, lackluster, a little bit slow, like he did against Darren Till. Um, and, or just inactive. Hermanson um, was on. He was streaking like crazy until he ran into Jared Cannonier. Hermanson was streaking at that win over Jacare. Gastelum is. I mean, here's the thing. Hermanson was able to um, out grapple and uh, basically lay on top of Jacare for most of that fight, if I recall. But Jacare, at this point of his career, doesn't have the hand speed of the boxing that Kelvin Gastelum does. I, th- my, I think that what's most likely to happen here, it's not definite, but if Gastelum's in shape, if he's a motivated Kevin Gastelum, if he's a C-level Kevin Gastelum, I feel like he still has, uh, you know, a v- very basic boxing, but super fast hands. He surprises you with how quickly he can move in. And I think there's a chance that early in the fight, he's going to serve up a three-piece that, uh, that puts Hermanson on his ass. I'm going to pick Calvin Gastelum, but it's, it's not with any supreme degree of confidence. Yeah, this one is, I think, particularly interesting. Really the hardest fight to call on the cards. There's a reason it's the last one on our list. Hermanson is 7-3 in the UFC, trains with a little-known team in Norway, wins over Jacare, Dave Branch, Gerald Mirchard, Talis Ladies, losses to Cesar Ferreira, uh, Tiago Santos, and Jared Cannonier. These are generally faster, more athletic guys. He has a high output, throw almost 500 strikes versus Jacare, which I think is a UFC record. Great cardio, uh, excellent ground game, five wins by ground and pound or submission. Once he gets on top, you're in trouble in all likelihood. Gastelum is 10-5 and five in the UFC, trains at Kings MMA under Rafael Cordero, trains with Marvin Vittori, Benil Dariush, and Jiga Jigazi, wins over Jacare, Michael Bisping, Vitor Belfort, lost to Darren Till, Israel Adesanya, and Chris Weidman. He's a fast southpaw who came up from welterweight a couple years ago killer left hand limited offense mostly jabs jab crosses two fight losing streak right now here's the thing 
Gastelum was hesitant versus Till after the Adesanya loss, but Hermanson is coming off a KO loss himself. Hermanson has no heart after he's taking a big shot, and Gastelum has a nasty left hand. But here's what I noticed, Nick. Gastelum's last seven wins are against old men, almost all of whom are now retired. Jake Ellenberger, Nate Marquardt, Johnny Hendricks, Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, Michael Bisping, Jacare Souza, respectively. Nick, these are all retiring or retired fighters, and... That's who he's been running through for the most part, right? His losses are to younger men like Neil Magny, Chris Weidman, Israel Adesanya, Darren Till. So I'm picking Hermanson for that reason, plus the fact that Gastelum got taken down 25 times in his UFC career. And Hermanson has 12 takedowns in the UFC, at least one in every win. Uh, Hermanson can submit him. He can ground upon him and finish him that way. He got caught with an uppercut, but Gastelum doesn't really throw uppercuts. And Gastelum doesn't really throw counters, which is, again, how he got caught in that matchup against Cannoneer. Hermanson is always the one pressing and always busier. And Gastelum isn't really that busy and doesn't counter well. So I'm picking Hermanson just mostly on the idea that it's been forever since Gastelum beat a fighter that is not either due to retire or retired. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll see. I have a feeling this might be your week, but uh, we'll see what happens. I do too, Nick. The title belongs around my waist, and it's about time it gets back there. I'm excited to boast about my victory next week. Nick, we're going to take a break. I'm going to come back and give these guys my betting recommendations. I know you've got to go. Good show, buddy. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to the MMA Geeks betting guide. Nick had to run, but I'm still going to run through the betting recommendations here. At minus 105, I'm recommending a bet on Jack Hermanson, $42 to win 40. I think he's got several intangibles that will perform well against Calvin Gastelum. Also, a bet on Molly McCann at minus 115. I think she's a deal at these odds. I would rush to the betting window, $75 to win 65 on Molly McCann. Dan Ige, plus 235. I think it, the odds are a little bit too lopsided in his matchup against Calvin Cater in the main event on Wednesday night. For that reason, I recommend investing into this value bet, $17 to win 40 on Ige. And I'm also going to add a parlay with Qatar involved in order to kind of mitigate that. So $32 on a parlay of Calvin Cater and Molly McCann to win 50 bucks. I think that's a good deal on these two and on the off chance if Ige pulls off the upset, I'm still making a profit between these bets. Then a parlay with Figueredo and Saryukan combined plus 121 odds, $41 to win 50, and that'll do it for the betting guide. Definitely some interesting fights coming up that we can look forward to. I also do want to pay a quick mention to Jack Shore, who's fighting on this card Wednesday. He's likely to pick up an impressive victory over Aaron Phillips. And also a shout-out to Kamzat Shimaev, who's likely to beat up John Phillips. You can log those as official picks for me. We just kind of didn't want to go overboard with the number of fights that we were going to break down in one episode. But the following weekend, we've got UFC Fight Night 174, Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till, Mauricio Hua versus Antonio Noguera, Alexander Gustafson versus Fabricio Verdum, Carlos Parza, Marina Rodriguez, Alex Oliveira, Peter Sabata is not a bad fight. Nicholas Dalby, Mofsad, Mofsar Evloev versus Mike Grundy is a great fight. A couple of just very much grappling-focused prospects, one in his 30s, one in his early 20s. Justin Taffa versus Rafael Pazau. That's likely going to end up in some kind of a finish. And uh, 
Penny Kanzada is going up against uh, Bitch Kohea. Ramazan Emiyev against Nicholas Stoles. Nathaniel Wood is going to be competing that night as well against John Castaneda. I'd imagine that Nathaniel Wood's a pretty decent-sized favorite in that one. That will do it for this episode. Tune in next week so that I can boast about the fact that I whooped uh, Nick's ass again. It's been a little more competitive than I'm comfortable with lately, so we're going to do something about that real quick. <laughs>